You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Hey, my name's Travis, and aloha to you if you are visiting um, and if it's your first time with us. And uh, I'm, just, I'm one of the pastors here, and, and it's my uh, honor to open up the Word of God with you guys, and I'm humbled that, that you would take your Sunday morning to be here with, with us. It truly is a privilege to be in God's Word. You can make your way to First John, the book of First John. Uh, where today is going to be a bit of a unique message, but um, we'll get there in a little bit. But I just want you to know that, that no matter where you're at this morning with Jesus, that no matter what struggles you're going through, that no matter what, what angst you have in your heart, that, that no matter what stresses you bring in here, that you are never worthy to bring those before Jesus. Except that Jesus has given us his grace, given us his righteousness, and only because Jesus gave us his righteousness can we now boldly approach the throne and be like, God, here I am, all my sin, all my shame, all my mistakes, all my stress. And you know what Jesus does? Gladly welcomes us in. And so um, we're, we're glad to have you here. We are just a people really here trying to seek the face of Jesus through his word. And if I could ask a request, is it a little dark in here? A little dark, right? Can we have the lights maybe boosted up just a little bit in the house? Um, I mean, I can't even see you guys' faces. You know, I want to be able to see you a little bit. Um, well, they'll get working on that. But um, at the end of the day, as far as the church, um, we are all about Jesus. Our, our vision as a church is to amplify Jesus. And that means that, that we're not here for ourselves. We're not here for our own glory. We're here for the glory of God. And so uh, there's really four ways that we, we, we have that vision expressed within our church. And the first is gospel-centered songs or gospel-centered music that, that we seek, that in every song that we sing, it's thought out. It's not just flippantly chosen, but we pray about it. They, the, the, the band, they go through it. They, they pick these songs that are really gospel-centered, and we have gospel-centered sermons, that the messages that we preached are gospel-centric. We're focused on Jesus, on what Christ has done for us. And so we are gospel-centered songs, gospel-centered preaching or messages, gospel-centered prayer is another big part of our church, that, that we come before the church, not just on Sunday and pray, but throughout the week to pray, and ask God to, to do great things, praying for the welfare of our city, praying for the welfare of our island, praying for our own welfare, that God would bless us and use us for his glory. And then lastly, we are a gospel-centered community. That, that yes, we are a community that comes and gathers on a Sunday morning, and this is very much part of our church, Ohana, but that we break up into smaller communities, just like the early church did. They gathered together in temp- for, for, at the temple because they, they rented public or religious venues, the early church did, to, to hold church services. And so uh, really, this is the, the public gathering, and then there is the gathering in one another's homes throughout the week, breaking of bread, and that's through community. And so um, we have community groups that are just about to begin, and so we would love for you to join this fall uh, time in community. Fall, joke here, right? Fall. Uh, but the fall season, they say, 
um, of being in community. You know, the Kiki are back in school. Uh, we're back at work. Vacation's over. Island hopping's done for the most part. We're here. And so uh, it's that time where we as a church begin to do life in community with one another. And so you're invited. Visit the Connect table at the end of the worship gathering if you haven't done so. And signups have been pretty good from what I understand. Leo, signups have, sign have been great. I think we have like 11 groups or so. And, uh, and if you in the future would love to open up your home and or be a community group leader, we'd uh, be honored to have you do that. So one last thing before we pray and get into uh, our time together, and uh, that is uh, Keiki ministry. Um, we have a phenomenal Keiki program here. Uh, Jenny and the rest of the team who helps teach and lead our kids, really, uh, it's not like we just pawn off our children and say, all right, now you raise them, you teach them the gospel, but but really what Kiki Ministry is, is us coming alongside the parents, helping them uh, grow th- our children, our Kiki in the gospel. And so if you have a heart for Kiki Ministry, and if you have yet to sign up, if you're kind of on the fence, you haven't really been serving, visit the, or visit the Connect table, grab a Kiki application, and we'd uh, really be stoked to have you serve in Kiki if that's an area where you are passionate about in ministry. It's not for everybody. We, we know that full well, but... It's a blessing because if all those dozens and dozens of children were in here right now, and they're welcome to come in here, they are, but uh, it would change it up a little bit and uh, it would be a little more distracting. They learn at their level. We are able to be focused. Uh, of course, children are always welcome in here though, uh, nonetheless. But well, let's pray and then we will get into our message today. Heavenly Father, Our Father, you are in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, this moment in church. Be our daily bread, God. Be our portion. We seek your face, God. We ask that you would be enough for us this morning. For all the things that we've pursued, we've realized that those are not enough. And We need you, and we need you to speak to us, God, through through your message. And even today, as we begin this new study through 1 John, God, would you send your spirit upon this place to work, to move, and to touch our lives so that we would be shaped. God, you are the potter. We are the clay. Have your way with us this morning. Thank you that you accept sinners. Thank you that you loved us while we didn't love you. You've given us your grace and your mercy. And so we just take this time now, God, to ask that you would move in this message and move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, today we begin a new series through the book of 1 John, and we are calling this series through 1 John Watermark. We're calling it Watermark. And the thing about 1 John, when it was initially written, there was no title 
There were no chapters. There were no verses. Those were actually added later on in church history, which it doesn't mean that it doesn't change any meaning of our Bibles. If anything, it, it's, it's been a tool that makes it easier for us to, to say, turn to First John instead of open up your scrolls too, right? And scroll your way in full. I mean, it makes it so much easier to have these chapters and these verses and these names of the books that were added later on. But up until this point, it was just a letter written to John for the church. Nothing more, nothing, nothing less. And, and so after reading through this book over and over again, you cannot help but notice the theme that overflowed from this amazing book of the Bible. Which I would encourage you, if you haven't been reading through 1 John, read through it, saturate your mind in it, become extremely familiar with it, fall in love with this amazing letter given to us from God, from the Apostle John. But, but the overflowing theme that, that as I've read through it, that you cannot help but notice is what is the mark of a true Christian? What mark does the gospel leave on the soul that is transformed by the grace of God? You see, every dollar bill, every passport that is printed, every official legal document that is mailed, whether it be a government document or a, or a document that, that has uh, important information um, for, for large companies or what have you, every document that of importance has something called a watermark on it. And the way a bank teller can know that money is fake, that a public official can know if that document is authentic or not, the way um, someone can tell if a passport is real or the driver's license is a counterfeit or the real deal is by looking at the watermark. What does it look like to be marked by the love of Jesus? What does it look like to be marked by the gospel? The answer to those questions are the five chapters, 105 verses here in 1 John. We are looking at the watermark. The authentic, legit, not a counterfeit, real Christian been transformed by the grace of God. And so for, for some of us, as we make our way through this book, this book will be a great comfort and a reassurance to us in our solidity and in our relationship with Jesus. And for those of us, and all of at, at times it will challenge us, push us, encourage us to love Jesus all the more. And then for, the, for some of us also, it will cause us to be introspective to look within. Are we, in fact, authentic? Are we a counterfeit, or are we the real deal? Have we been marked by the love and the grace of God? But before we venture through the watermark truths in 1 John, I want us to get to know the godly man behind this book. Today's message is not going to be it's going to be a very unique message. Just, we, we, we really have not done this before. Maybe once before, but none of you are here. That was second day, second Sunday of Shorebreak Church. There were three people here. I think one person was here. Shauna might have been here on that Sunday. But other than that, everyone else was not here. So um, today's message will be unique. We normally don't do this. But if we are going to understand 
and receive all the blessing that the early church did. They knew John. When they they heard the name John, there was a face to the name, there was a personality to the name, there was a testimony of Jesus Christ. When they heard the name John, the Apostle John. For us, we become so removed, we can just quickly jump in and not even understand what's really unfolding behind. If, If we understand who John is, we would do well to, to believe and receive all the blessings that the early church did. So John, who is this man who penned by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this book that we are about to endeavor on? Well, to start, John was born into a wealthy family. Uh, his dad, his father, uh, we know from Mark 3.17, was named Zebedee. And if you're looking for a kid's name, by the way, there you go, Zebedee, right? Anyone pregnant? Zebedee? I haven't heard Zebedee. I just haven't heard. I mean, you know, there's like r- r- unique names that are going around today. Uh, I know some people just named their kid Lion, Fox. No kidding. It's like, okay, great. I mean, whatever, whatever. Zebedee, all right? That was John's father's name. Zebedee was a wealthy man. He uh, started off probably blue collar, made his way up to white collar. He actually owned a fishing business. So not only did he work on the boats, he owned the boats of which people worked on the boats for him. Not just one boat, not just two boats, but most likely dozens of boats he owned, if not more, had to manage, had to organize, had to make sure uh, everyone was getting paid, oversaw all the contracts and oversaw all the, the organization and owning a family fishing business meant that that would have been passed down to John. So he would have been raised up in this. He would have smelt like fish, like his dad coming home from work every day. And um, John, being a son, would have had part ownership in the company, which meant that his uh, brother James who was also a disciple, worked alongside John as well. So now use your imagination, okay? Because so many times we can alienate ourselves from the reality of the narrative of the Bible and just think, well, these are just names and pages on Scripture, but, but enter into the story. You're John. You go to work the same way you go to work, same time every day. You know that you're going to have to figure out um, you know, who, who, who's not going to show up today? You're going to figure out how are we going to cover this shift and who's going to work on this boat and how are we going to get everyone where they need to be? Same routine, shows up, is uh, amongst all this madness, probably is enjoying a pretty nice paycheck, is probably doing pretty well as a young 25-year-old something dude in his mid-20s. And in the middle of all this madness, a 30-year-old homeless man walks up to him and says, one thing, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Like what what would John do? What would you do? You have your comforts, you have your paycheck, you have everything, and then out of the blue, out of this madness, someone says, come follow me, and, and I will make you a fisher of men. John dropped his nets and followed Jesus. 
He left the family business, which meant maybe his family would have been pretty upset with him. There was obviously going to be reasons he could have, should have not left. Oh, the financial security and all these different things. But John left it all. You guys, he left it all. John left financial security. John left his own comforts. He left his career. He left his family. He left his house. Again, all as a dude in his mid-20s. He left it all so he could have all of Jesus. Now, he did not know what that was going to look like or how great all these things would unfold. But when we follow God's call, that is how it goes. That our life might be going in one direction. We might have plans. We might have dreams. We might have things that we've planned for our life. But Proverbs says that a a man's heart plans his way, but it is the Lord who directs his steps. And so we can make all the plans we want. We can have all the dreams we want. But at the end of the day, when Jesus shows up, when, when God makes himself known in our life, our life will be going one way, and then all of a sudden, our life can be completely different, completely changed, because no one has an encounter with Jesus and walks away the same. For better or for worse, when you encounter the glory of God, no one walks into the presence, no one walks into the glory of God the same. They will be marked one way or another. So John left it all. Things progressed, and soon there are hundreds of people following Jesus. Jesus would, soon after John, solidify his team of 12 men, his 12 disciples. And so uh, John is pretty excited. Um, John's like the, I envision him to be the type A personality. When he's all into something, he's all in. Uh, just ADD, I mean, he just blocks out everything else because what he's doing, it's in front of him at the moment, is most important. Um, he's excited that he's joined this team. He's spending time with Jesus. And out of excitement, James and John do something really funny. That, that as they're seeing Jesus heal people and all these incredible things happen, they're like, man, we want to seat at your table. Where you're going and what you're about, we want to be seated next to you. And so uh, Jesus, or James and John, rather, ask their mom, because that's manly. Just in case you're wondering, just ask mama to do your, your work for you. <laughs> to ask Jesus if they can sit in a place of honor when Jesus sets up his kingdom. Yeah, my boys, can, can one of my boys be on the right hand? Can one of my boys be on the left hand? Come on, Jesus. And James and John are like, yeah, and... I kind of imagine, I, I know this is, maybe some of you, I'm going to alienate you, alienate you on this illustration. The office Dwight. I, I envision John is like a sanctified version of Dwight. Just like, can I be the assistant manager, please, please, please? No, you can be the assistant to the assistant regional manager or whatever, right? Like, I mean, he's power hungry. He's a type A personality. He's all in and he's passionate. And, and he's got his mama here to back him up, say, hey, Jesus, can my boys, can James and John sit at your right hand, sit at your left hand? See, John was ambitious leader. He wanted to see change. And Jesus basically told them, you have no idea what you're asking for. They got denied. They did not get the position that they were asking for. So both James and John were given nicknames by Jesus. Isn't that awesome to be given a nickname by Jesus? 
sons of thunder. As a result of their passion and their excitement, Jesus says, you're sons of thunder, right? It kind of gives you an idea, especially with all the storms we've been having recently. Sons of thunder. You know, when someone gives you a nickname, it's because they have a special place in your heart, right? Like God gave them a nickname. I'm sure when he's like, I'm going to call you boys sons of thunder. All the other disciples are like, <laughs> sons of thunder, right? You know they never let that down. Come on. Uh, we had a, a 1987 blue Suburban. It was awesome. Like cherry, just shiny blue, black tinted windows. I mean, this thing was, we called it the beast, right? I mean, when you nickname your cars, it is a special play in, place in your heart. In fact, when we sold the beast, one of our kids cried when we actually sold it. They got over it like 30 minutes later, but it was kind of like, they're leaving with our car. Like, yes, they are. That thing gets five miles per gallon. Praise the Lord, right? But Jesus gives them a nickname, and I'm sure every time Jesus said it, he said he called them sons of thunder with an awkward smile on his face. To say Jesus did not have fun, to say Jesus is a killjoy, uh, is to not unknow the Bible or to not know him. John's name means loved by Jehovah. Loved by Jehovah. A fitting name because Jesus loved John very much, and John loved Jesus very much. See, Jesus would teach thousands upon thousands of people, and, and even some points, there would be over 20,000 people there hearing Jesus preach the truths of God's kingdom, and at some points, even with all those people, it was... Peter, James, and John, out of all these 20,000 people or so that were given special access to Jesus. They were, you could say, in the inner circle with Jesus. Not everyone had full access to Jesus like Peter, James, and John did. Because John was in this inner circle, he was with Jesus and Peter at the Mount. Transfiguration. Remember that story? They go there. Moses and Elijah show up. Pretty awesome. Peter's losing his mind. He's like, we should just build a temple right here and just worship God forever. And God's like, shut up, Peter. Just shut up. Typical Peter, right? Puts his foot in his mouth, really excited and passionate. And then as Peter, James, and John are no doubt there seeing this incredible sight, the glory of God being revealed, they're seeing Moses and Elijah. They're like, this is so incredible. I mean, did you think that when we follow, man, I mean, do you think John, go back to the days of the fishing dock. And now here he is seeing Moses and Elijah. I mean, he's seen it all. And God tells specific, God, the voice of God, this, the voice that is like the sound of thunder speaks to John and says, listen to my son. John had a direct command from God the Father. Personal, direct command from God the Father. And the result of John's obedience to that command is the gospel of John and 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. 
That's how we have this. Because John heard a direct voice from God. God's voice to him says, listen to my son. John, in obedience, listens to his son for years of his life. And the result of John's obedience is this letter that we have in our hand. And as Jesus' ministry advanced, John saw people get raised from the dead. He was there. He saw blind people see, deaf people hear, lame people walk, people forgiven of their sins. He was, he was there, like he saw all those things happen. During the Passover feast, it was Jesus who asked John and Peter to set up dinner, which would be the last meal at the upper room before the, the crucifixion. Guys, John set the table with Peter. He set the, he set the table with, with Peter that... John placed the bread and the wine on the table, which Jesus would use to introduce his broken body and his shed blood. The, the introduction of communion, you guys, when they set all the elements there at the table for communion, John was like, you know communion that, that, that we celebrate? Communion that we celebrate every Sunday? John was the one who ran errands to, with Peter to go set up the Last Supper. How amazing is that? having no idea when, when they bought that bread, the, the, the significance and the meaning behind it. They were just, it was just another meal time with Jesus like they did all the time. During the Passover meal, Jesus told all of his disciples that someone would betray him. And can you imagine being there in that upper room, this very sober moment here, oh, someone's gonna betray Jesus? And if anyone had a chance to ask who would betray him, John was the best man for that. Um, bold Peter wanted to know, but Peter had learned after the last three years to keep his mouth shut a little bit more. So he leans over at the Last Supper and says, Hey, John, would you ask Jesus who's going to betray him? Why John? Because John, like Peter though, was in that inner circle. But I think Jesus and John had a special relationship. And so famously, John leans over, puts his head in the chest of Jesus and asks him, Lord, who's, who's going to betray you? Is it me? Is it my brother Peter here? Is it my brother James? They knew they were prone to wander. They knew they were prone to leave this God that they had followed and loved for the last three years. They, they knew, they've learned over the last three years that, that they cannot rely on their own self-righteousness to enter into the kingdom of God. They cannot rely on their own strength. That's why Jesus said, follow me and I, I will teach you because you need to be taught. So even though was this young, John was this young man, he was faithful to Jesus. He loved Jesus and Jesus loved him. And I'm sure that Jesus would consider John to be one of his best friends. BFF, 
bow or what do they call it today? No, it's not right. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not caught up on my ridiculous. Which, uh, yeah, no, I'll st- I'm not going to. I'll stop on social. It's re- some of that stuff is so funny, but the disciples of Jesus were not just becoming servants of the Most High now, but they're becoming friends of him. See, being a disciple of Jesus just doesn't mean that, that, that he is your master and you are his slave. Though you are, but it doesn't stop there. In fact, John wrote this himself in John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you, what? Friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. John was not just a servant of Jesus, and Jesus was not just his master, but he was a friend of Jesus. And probably one of Jesus' best friends on this earth. And listen to me, for all who are in Christ, you are known and you are loved by Jesus. Yes, you were once enemies of God, outcasts. You did not have a relationship with him. But but because of the grace and the blood of Jesus, you have now been purchased and bought by his blood, not just as slaves to the master, but now as friends of God. The blood of Jesus did not just purchase you so that you would be in frustrating frustration obedience toward him but that you would enter into a friendship with God Jesus does not want your religion Jesus wants your friendship and this is what we mean in Christianity it's become kind of a cliche today to say oh we're not religious we want a relationship with Jesus but we mean that That Jesus doesn't want your checklist. I went to Sunday, checklist, I read my Bible, check, I did this, check, I did this. God, look at my religious obedience for you. And Jesus is saying, I just want to be your friend. Can we hang out? Friends talk, friends spend time with each other, right? Or they try to anyways. They make an effort to have a relationship. They call, they text, they hang out. They're there when you need it, when you need it most. Jesus says, I am not just your master and you are not just my slave, but I want to have a relationship. I want to be friends with you. That's what it means to be a disciple. And John was a great friend of Jesus and Jesus was a great friend of John. Of course, we know it wasn't John who betrayed Jesus, but it was Judas. Later that night, our Savior was in such anguish over the cross that he would face. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood from the stress and uh, and thinking forward to the agony of what is about to happen. Jesus is in the Garden, sweating blood. The capillaries under his skin exploded from stress, sweating blood and agony. And he asks John and Peter to stay up with him that night into the Garden of Gethsemane. And did they? They fell asleep. But but John was there, knocked out on the ground, sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane.
they would pray with him. John saw Jesus get spat upon by religious leaders. Peter and John stayed up all night as Jesus was arrested. They watched Judas betray him with a kiss. John watched Peter pick up a sword, try to chop off the head of a soldier, and missed and chopped off his ear because fishermen should never pick up swords. And as things progressed from that night into the next morning, John watched Jesus' flesh get ripped off his body by the cat of nine tails. Cat of nine tails was this instrument used for torture. It would have shards of glass, metal, rusty metal nails, along with a whip built into it that would be used to wrap around the body of its victim and pulled, ripping off skin and flesh and muscle, exposing uh, sometimes the inner organs of the body of our Savior. John was there, hearing our Jesus cry out in agony. John watched his best friend. Think about this, guys. John watched his life he gave up everything to follow this man whom he loved. Come to an end. He saw Jesus carry his cross. He watched Jesus' body be transformed from a man to fragments of a man where he looked more like a beast than he did a man. He watched the nails the size of railroad spikes be driven through Jesus' wrists and his feet. They, he saw the crown of thorns still crushed into his skull, dripping down from his eyebrows, parts of his beard plucked out. He saw his Savior hanging on a cross, and from Jesus' mouth, looking to John, he asks John, who was the only disciple there, take care of my mother. What does that tell you about the relationship Jesus had with John? When no other disciple could be found there at Golgotha when Jesus was crucified, John was there in the midst. He was there in the darkest hour of all creation with Jesus' mother watching God die. And he watched God die. Three days later, though, Peter and John get word that the tomb is empty. Which you would understand is pretty amazing news. We, he said he was the Messiah. He said he was, was the one to come. He, he was the promised one from, from Genesis chapter 3. I mean, he's here where we're going to go out. And so they run to the tomb. They're running and Peter apparently still hasn't shed some of his weight from his before Christ days. So John smokes Peter to the tomb. He does. He beats him there. The disciple whom Jesus loved beat Peter to the tomb. Told you he's type A, a little, little bit aggressive. But he stood outside the tomb. Peter just walked right in the tomb, showed up 20 minutes later. You know, John's like, where you been at, man? But Peter just walks right in the tomb. And of course, they see that the tomb is empty for their own eyes. Guys, John saw the empty tomb with his own eyes eyes. 
And John was there worshiping Jesus in Canaan. John watched with his own eyes as an eyewitness, Jesus ascend into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. Of course, this news spread quickly, right? Like you killed this man and he's alive and he's appeared to 500 eyewitnesses. I mean, Christianity went viral and people were being saved and the gospel could not be stopped and the government needed to shut it down, slow it down. It was a threat to society. It was a threat to people's other religions. The impacts of Christianity were so great, the world has yet to recover from this good news of Jesus rising from the dead. They even tried to shut up John. Because you see, John grew much older. John was there when Jesus was having a conversation with him and Peter and And John was saying, or Jesus was saying to John and Peter, yeah, Peter, you're, you're, you're going to die. You're going to die for my sake. And Peter's like, what about John? <laughs> Is he going to die with me? Like, no, no, he's, he's, he's not going to die. And John grew much older. You guys realize his eyewitness account became all the more important to the second generation Christians? Being the last man standing, if John buckles, if John just renounces, you know what, we made it up, or you know what, it was a fun run, but it's not worth my life. If John being one of the 12, being the closest to Jesus, buckles under this pressure, the movement called Christianity, it's done, it's over. If he would just admit that Jesus did not raise from the dead, if John would just renounce Jesus, and so you know what they do to this poor old man now? Church history tells us that in order to shut him up, to make him renounce Jesus, they boiled him alive. And he didn't die, which is probably a worse punishment. Might as well just go. Because can you imagine what it would feel, be like to be boiled alive? I mean, if you ever have seen in the news burn victims, John would have came out looking like a, looking extremely scarred from this horrific incident. Guys, John hadn't seen Jesus for about 50 years. No doubt. He hasn't come back. John, he hasn't come back. It's been 50 years. All you need to do is just say it, it wasn't real. It did. You haven't seen him for 50 years? John's like, no, no. I saw him. I'm not going to renounce my Jesus. He's my best friend. Church history also tells us that John would have seen all of his other friends and his disciples killed, martyred. He saw Peter crucified upside down. His best friend. He watched the church explode in growth. 
And he watched many Christians die for their faith. This is why John's name is not explicitly mentioned in any of his later writings. He was the last man standing. There was no need to self-address this letter. Some people are like, well, how can we know for sure it's 1 John? They're the latest letters written. In fact, if the last, John is the last man standing so much that he has the last word. He, he writes the last books of the, the, the New Testament, the last books of the canon of Scripture. And so there was only one more voice of authority who could write a letter on behalf of God and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with authority of God, and that was John. And so there was no need to self-address this letter. When he spoke, people listened because he spoke with authority, even as he scarred, burned victim from the, and, and, and persecuted old man, he still loved Jesus. Because all of the apostles now, pretty much up to this point, are believed most likely to be dead as he writes these letters. But you know what amazes me? You cannot find one historical document of this man complaining. So how's your week been? I, I, I've complained about the stupidest things, right? It's like, oh, the things that I look back and complain about. There's not one record. John was a man who did things without grumbling or complaining. John, nearing 100 years old, after his time in solitary confinement on the island of Patmos where, God, where Jesus showed up. Think about that. Been about 70 years. He's on Patmos. Solitary confinement. Jesus shows up to him and gives him a revelation. Probably just what that 100-year-old scarred man needed. And you know what the result of that revelation was? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. The last book of our Bible. How faithful was this man through all of his life? I mean, in fact, there were third, guys, there were third generation Christians. Never seen Jesus. Third generations removed who would never see Jesus face to face. Would not, they would not see Jesus in the flesh, but they could go to church on Sunday and see John sitting there who was an eyewitness account. How incredible is that? I mean, it's so amazing. In fact, some, some uh, different, depending on what you believe about church tradition, some people say that the young men of the church would carry this old man to church. They would sit the apostle John uh, in the front of the church in a chair before someone else would go up to preach and they would say, Apostle John, would you have any word for us? And he would say, little children, love the Lord your God. Guys, we have a rich history of eyewitness accounts, and John is the strongest case for them. Four times in the Gospel of John, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He knew that Jesus loved him, and he loved Jesus. He loved Jesus, and he believed it, and John put all his weight behind Jesus' love for him. That's why we read in 1 John 4.10, which we will get there eventually as we make our way through this book, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us, and he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. 
If there is anyone in the entire Bible who knows what it looks like to be marked by the gospel, to be genuine, to be authentic, to be faithful to the end, there is no one greater, no one better to look at than the example of the Apostle John and to make our way through this book, 1 John. He was the last man standing. You know what's awesome? He tells us why he wrote this book. Look, look at 1 John. Hopefully your Bibles are still open. We didn't close them. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. He's telling us here why he wrote this book. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing things, these things to you so that you may not sin. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John is the last man standing so that your joy may be complete. He is the last man standing so that you would not continue on sinning. And he is the last man standing so that you would know you are eternally secure in Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need stability in your life, if you need life, if you are leaking and, and you, you just you can't seem to keep life and you've been on a search, you've been on a journey trying to find fulfillment, if you are exhausted from your sin, if you do in fact feel alienated and separated from God because of your sin, know that Jesus loves you because God gave up his own son for your sin. Repent of your sin. Confess your sin to him. Believe this account, this eyewitness testimony from a man who was there that could have renounced Jesus but never did. Believe that Jesus lived a perfect life. Believe, believe that Jesus died a death that you deserve, that he purchased your sin specifically, that he bought your sin. He took ownership of your sin and then in exchange for that, he gave you his goodness so that one day when you stand before God, you can stand before him not because of your own goodness but because of the goodness that has been given to you from Jesus and God would look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. It is in Jesus can we enter into all that God would have for us. If you are tired of sin, if you are lacking joy, and if you do not have eternal security and hope, love the man that John loved, Jesus, and receive the love that Jesus gives. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and looking at the Apostle John. What an amazing example we have. God, that you're not calling us into religion, but that you're calling us into friendship. 
And if we have lacked friendship, we don't talk to you, hang out with you, spend time, enjoy you as God. If we find our sin more pleasurable, God, may we come to you knowing that in you we can have all that our soul is searching for, all that our soul needs, all that our soul longs for and desires. And so as we're praying in this moment with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, if you do not know Jesus, if you have not had a relationship with Jesus, if you've heard the gospel, if you've believed the eyewitness account of Jesus, Repent of your sins, which simply means to say, I'm tired of my sin, God. I believe, Jesus, that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, that what you have for my life is better than what I have for my own life. Pray that to him right now. And become friends with God, because God loves you. If that's you, just... In your heart, just say this to Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are good. And there is no greater friend than you. I am sorry for my sin. And I turn from my sin. And I look to you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. And be my friend. God, I know that you love me because you gave me Jesus. I thank you that he died on my cross. I believe that you rose again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.